I got my first permanent job at the age of 40 because I'd been told that I would never work and would never be a valuable member of society. And I believed it. I started doing voluntary work and then was given a job in a mental health service. And within two years, I became a manager. And within three years, I was one of the directors of that service. Welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast about mental health in rural and regional Australia. My name is Kaya Handley. I'm a journalist and I've had my own lived experience with mental illness. This episode, we're focusing on low prevalence, on complex and severe mental illnesses. You may not have heard the term low prevalence mental illness before. It's an official term that groups complex and severe diagnosis together. Here's Cathy Borman, the CEO of One Door, explaining what falls under this category. One of the main ones would be um, those with schizophrenia, those also with bipolar uh, affective disorder. Um, those would be the two main. I think also those people who have significant complex trauma mm-hmm. um, with functional, uh, I guess, uh, impacts there. Um, and uh, previously, I don't like the label, but previously the label of borderline personality disorder. From my experience and and all the research that we all know that those who have those diagnoses of um, borderline personality disorder come from a a trauma background. So I'd prefer that we we use that language of going, this is um, someone who's very much been affected by trauma. According to the Australian Department of Health, these conditions affect 1% to 2% of the Australian population. So why focus on them? Because they're serious. They often have a bad image associated with them thanks to the media and movies from earlier decades. And because of their complexity, people with these mental illnesses often need services over a long period of time, accounting for about 80% of Australia's spending on mental health care. And when you're living outside a capital city, it can be nearly impossible to find the services you need. Dr. Rodney Jarowicz is a consultant psychiatrist and director of telehealth service called Mental Health Emergency and Community Service. It is exceptionally difficult. This is driven by a number of factors. I think the central factor is actually just socioeconomic disadvantage. Our population tend to live in small towns. A lot of them are first peoples. I think about 13% of the area are Aboriginal, but In terms of our consumers, it's over 30% of the consumers, which we're actually quite proud of because we know that's a disadvantaged group and we're needing the right people. But I think the other factors are there are no private services or very few in our part of the state, even though it's in an area larger than Germany. What little private cover there is is really done by video from metropolitan Sydney and a little bit from Brisbane. Even if you are wealthy, you can't see a private psychiatrist unless you live in or close to Orange or unless you have the resources to get someone else. Cathy Borman has also found access to services can be one of the biggest challenges for someone diagnosed with a low prevalence mental illness. What I'm seeing is a lot of what happens from a government perspective is they'll say, right, here we're going to deliver... Um, X amount of funding for this type of service. And this type of service is still going to be delivered in your Sydney region as well. But we're not taking into consideration any of the complexities around rural and remote areas and regional areas that there's such distance between um, centres of care 
that it takes longer, even just the, the whole digital platform and digital innovation that government is wanting to see in service provision is sometimes unachievable in some of these areas because they don't have the access to those things. Consumers don't have smartphones. So I think that there's a real need to really focus in those rural and regional areas around what is going to make a difference. So what's Rodney and his team doing to try to fix the hole we see in regional Australia? So we can take a telephone triage from anyone. It can be a family member. It can be a person in in distress or with a disorder. So we can talk to people at home, but then we can get them into the video and we liaise with four inpatient units and across our areas. So we would do over 2,000 assessments a month, I think, and we take uh, thousands of calls in from people distressed and out in terms of organising care. We work very closely with the community mental health team. The benefit of a telehealth service, be that video or over the phone, is that it's not reliant on having good local staff. And nothing changes if a mental health worker leaves a regional community. And Dr Jarowicz says people will open up to the video service, sometimes better than they would if someone was sitting in front of them. Obviously, there are some difficulties. Some people are very reluctant to speak. We also do a lot of training with our staff, so they're very good at using the video and putting people at ease. I think it's equivalent to using a face-to-face, but like any any technology, it's better for some things than other things. For some groups, we've found that kids, particularly small boys, love it. Like they'll open up to a video like, like they never would if you're in the room to them. And for some people that have, have a history of violence and going out of jail, it can be a way to keep staff safe when those people are putting demands on the system. But there are other people that are reluctant to use it, sometimes because they have a paranoid illness and have, have you know sometimes they have delusions about the service. But then paradoxically, we've got one person that I can remember, he's got all kinds of complicated delusions about being monitored on the telephone. He's very happy to see us on the video regularly. So you just never know if I'm different. So let's meet Faye Jackson. You heard her voice at the top of the episode telling her story of living with a severe and complex mental illness. This is more of what she's experienced since she was diagnosed. But you see, when you get a diagnosis, people are told that they are a schizophrenic or they are a manic depressive or a bipolar, same same words for the same uh, thing. Um, and then pe- families start talking that way and they start thinking about themselves that way. Mm. I did that, you know, when I was diagnosed with bipolar schizoaffective disorder, I did that. Um, I took that on. But a peer worker spoke to me and, you know, I had been told that I would never work. And a peer worker who is a person with lived experience who supports other people with lived experience, and that was in the public health system, she said to me, I've got that same diagnosis. That doesn't mean you can't work. Mm. You know, what, and this was in the country, what gives you the right to not pull your weight? Some of us can't. And I'm very happy that I'm working and I'm paying taxes to support people who can't. But the majority of us can. And want to. And want to. And I've seen people who are very, what people would say, are very, very unwell, uh, you know, actively talking with their voices that they're hearing in their head who have seen another person in distress, got them a cup of tea, and, and has really hurt, helped that other people along. Even if we're having active symptoms, 
we can still be really valuable members of society. Faye says it's often ignorance rather than stigma that drives the negative images that go with diagnosis like schizophrenia and bipolar. They've seen all the old Hollywood movies, they've read all the frightening stories about people with mental health issues in newspapers, but they haven't talked with or met with the thousands upon thousands of people who have lived experience of mental health issues and who work and raise their families mm. and, and lead you know, pretty ordinary lives. <laughs> Her focus is helping people find work and encouraging workplaces to change their attitudes around mental health. So we see it more like physical health. Because Faye Jackson says that when someone with a mental illness is in a supported workplace, the research says they take less days off work than someone without a diagnosis. And she says finding supportive workplaces and the ability to be honest about a diagnosis is harder in regional Australia. If something goes wrong, you know, if somebody becomes really unwell and it, and that becomes public knowledge, that gets around more. And, and one person being unwell in a small area can have a really large impact, whereas one person being unwell in, in a city, people often just don't even notice, mm. you know. Um, but in the country, we all need to pull our weight. That That is what's needed in the country. And people with lived experience can absolutely pull their weight. They just need to be given the chance. We we want the right to be responsible. Dr Rodney Jarowicz has seen firsthand that a mental illness diagnosis does not mean you cannot have a successful life and career. If the disorders are caught early and referred and given the right treatment, that people actually generally do very well. And a lot of people with Recurrent psychotic disorders or bipolar have very successful careers in, mm. in, in the arts, in, in business. I'm sure there's some in Parliament, and I'll leave it to the public to decide if that's a successful career or not. <laughs> but, um, but people cope with all kinds of problems. I've had patients with severe psychotic disorders and bipolar disorders who are doctors, specialists, lawyers, judges. I mean, these kinds of disorders affect everyone. It's just a question of catching people early, working with them very closely and providing treatments of work. So what's the solution? Kathy Borman says it's all about integration. They might talk to two different providers. All they want is those two different providers to get together and work things out. But yeah. there's just, for whatever reason, there's, there's just not a willingness to do that. So I think there's got to be a, a willingness and a leadership from us all to go, let's all meet and let's break down our barriers of, who's in and who's out and say that there is, we're just going to work out that there is a way of having no wrong door through it all and being able to bring in, I think, not just mental health providers, but I think also other parts of government, employment, you know, even your Centrelinks, housing, all those things that are also impact on someone's ability to recover need to all come in the same space and be able to work that out because I don't think you can really do mental health recovery without taking into the factors of all that community linking, that mm. social aspect, the low incomes, the housing, all those income, all those issues, as well as I think there we also know in those areas that there's a real sparsity of actual providers 
I had a mum recently speak to me about her son who needed uh, support from a psychiatrist and she couldn't get any because there were just none in that area. But given his complexity and severity, he needed to see one. Mm. Um, And just how we know that there's just such a lack of workforce in rural and regional areas. And every guest in this episode agreed we need to focus on hope on strengths, on what makes us the same, not different. And as Faye Jackson says, that we all have a part to play in making life better when someone we know is diagnosed with a severe and complex mental illness. Well, I think we need to become kinder. I think society as a whole needs to be more kind. I now say when people say, I toughen up, you know, or harden up, I now say, well, why doesn't society soften up? This is a harsh society for sensitive people to live in and people who have been traumatised are often very sensitive. And so workplaces need to be kind, you know, community needs to be kind. But we also need to be really actively looking for the positives that every person has, not just people with mental health. We're like that amazing Japanese pottery called kintsugi. If the pots are broken, Japanese have a philosophy. So it's a craft and a philosophy in one. If a pot is broken and they mend it with gold, liquid gold, you know, and that hardens and, and, and holds the pot together. And they say that the cracks are where the value is then. The cracks are where the story is, the what happened with care and concern and patience, putting this pot back together, it's the, it's even a stronger vessel than what it was before. And people with mental health issues are like that. Everybody has their strengths and we need to be asking people what they are. If they may not even recognise what they are. So we need to be talking to them about that and utilising those strengths, giving people the opportunity to, oh, here's a, a pun, I didn't mean it, <laughs> but, to, but to flourish in their lives, in their personal lives and in their work. You've been listening to Let's Talk, a podcast about mental health in rural and regional Australia. If you or someone you know needs help, there are so many places you can turn. If you need someone to talk to, you can call the New South Wales Mental Health Line on 1800 011 511 for some advice or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can also access a bunch of really useful information on the Centre for Rural and Remote Mental Health's website, www.crrmh.com.au. You want to know more about mental health in regional Australia? Click subscribe. Let's Talk is in all the popular podcast places. So find us, share us and help us spread the message of good mental health.